0: right. We are back. Welcome to all of our listeners and fellow sports card enthusiasts. We're glad you're here. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you're new to the show, welcome to the 615 Collector. I'm Doug Turner. My partner here is my son, Brandon Turner. And we always like to remind everyone at the top of the show, we do not take sponsorships or get paid by anyone that we talk about, which is intentional so that you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and not financially Motivated. So, Brandon, let's go ahead and jump right in because we got a lot to cover. Give the rundown for the show today.
1: Yeah, welcome everybody. We're glad that you're here and listening. We got a bunch of stuff today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit on the market and some opportunities we're seeing. And then, keeping with the tradition, we'll look at the athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number. It's going to be 33 today. Uh, we have a historic moment in sports planned. And then we'll cover the latest hobby news in the Halfton Report. And then, finally, film study. Uh, we got basically everything NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. Baseball,
0: a little tennis, uh, and the WNBA today. Yeah, lots of good stuff. And uh, we did go on the, uh, or I got an opportunity to go on Jeremy Lee's Collectible Live podcast la- last weekend. That was fun. Encourage all of our listeners to check that out. Um, you can just you Google it. I don't remember the link off the top of my head, and I forgot to write it down before we started recording. But if you just Google Jeremy Lee Collectible Live, you'll find it. It's on YouTube, but it's also in wherever you get your podcasts. And we were on his show last weekend, and he um, got to talk shop and a little bit about the hobby and different things like that. So that was a lot of fun. Appreciate Jeremy having us on. And we did get some questions on there about the state of the hobby. We've talked about the state of the hobby a lot over the last few shows. So I wanna, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but there's a couple things we wanted to touch on. One is there are some folks that are kind of comparing this the card market to the S&P 500 and trying to use something like the card ladder 50 index and comparing that to the S&P 500 index to see, you know, how the cards are doing and compared to the stock market. So my only comment there, given that my day job is in the stock market, so to speak, I think a comparison, I think the S&P 500 is not an apples to apples comparison. The S&P 500 is a much more inclusive index that's a much broader representation of the experience of all investors. That's not really the same with the card market indices. So as an example, like that Card Ladder 50 index that they produce, there's 50 cards in the index. If you look at over the last six months, it's down about 8%. So probably a appropriate reflection of the overall market, but... Although, you know, it's a bifurcated market, right? So certain cards doing a lot better, other cards doing a lot worse. But the issue that I've got in terms of people trying to make these kind of comparisons are that the card market indices inherently contain cards with limited pop counts, limited population, there's not a lot of them. And so, by definition, a very, very small minority of collectors can actually own them, and therefore it's not really a good representation of the broad market experience. It's really more representation of the experience of a very small, limited, select few. That's not the case with the S&P 500 index and other you know market indexes like that. And so to get a proper you know comparison, you'd need an index that captures you know more of the experience that the majority of collectors are having, and that would be kind of difficult to do. Honestly, I don't think there is a good comparison there. Anyway, but to give you an example, like if I look at that Card Ladder 50 index, there's a 1958 tops Jim Brown which is Jim Brown's rookie card in there but the you know the pop count on that card is like 500 in the PSA 7 in the grade that they're including it in the index it's 500 and the total pop count for all you know Jim Brown graded cards is only I think a few thousand so it's not you know same thing with like there's a, a 1948 Leaf Jackie Robinson card, which you know has a pop count of 229, or a uh, the you know 1979 Wayne Gretzky Opiechi card uh, with a pop count of under a thousand. The you know there's there's a, a bunch of different other examples that we could provide in here, but the point is is that most investors do not own these cards and because that you know while while they're popular and sort of widely followed the reality of it is because the population of a lot of these cards is pretty rare it's just not a representation of kind of what most investors experience is going to be so i would just caution people about trying to draw those kind of comparisons because it's really apples and oranges let's see what else so the la- i guess the last thing that i would say our advice on that would be to just look at it from the perspective of being a collector first and investor second collect what you like only spend what you can afford have a long-term view if you do those things i think you're going to be just fine i wouldn't get too worked up about kind of all the hand-wringing that's going on right now over the state of the market as we've said many times before it's just the natural cycle ups and downs it's going to happen so follow that advice we just gave collector first collect what you like spend what you can afford have a long-term view and you should be just fine All right, let's move on. Let's talk about some opportunities we're seeing in the market because there were some interesting things that over the last week or so. One was in the PWCC auction. They've got a weekly auction, ends every Sunday. I was bidding on a couple of things in there and then actually got busy and moved on to some other stuff and so wasn't able to ultimately watch it to the end. And I'm kind of disappointed because there's a couple of cards I absolutely would have bid on to buy that I think went for really cheap prices And so I think it's just an example of where if you're, you know, pick your spots, there's some opportunities out there uh, for collectors if if you have cards that you're interested in. So I'll give you some examples, a couple cards that I was interested in. So one was the 2010 Bowman Draft Picks and Prospects Russell Wilson card. It's actually a baseball card. So a lot of people may not realize that he he actually played baseball in the minor leagues uh, and then before going pro in football. And so he has a baseball card out there. And in a PSA 10 there's I forget the pop count it's not a lot of them but that card on the PWCC auction a PSA 10 sold for $42 and to give you an idea in late 2020 early 2021 so yes during kind of the bubble but that card was regularly selling for over $200 I think it even reached about $500 at one point but then recently it's been selling for around $100 give or take and all of a sudden in that pwcc auction it went for 42 dollars. so that's where again i think if you're just kind of paying attention to some of this stuff there's some i think that's an opportunity personally i think that's a steal and i would have i was i think i had bid at the time i bid i think it was like 30 bucks or something so i bid like 35 or 40. then i had to go do something got distracted came back the auction was over and sold for 42 i was i was so upset because i would have absolutely gone higher than that another example uh, there was a 2018 tops chrome update Shohei Ohtani card. This one was in an SGC 10. So it's kind of two things here. One, opportunity, you know, maybe from not having as many eyeballs on the auction, but also maybe the discount between an SGC 10 and a PSA 10. So that one in an SGC 10 in the PwC auction sold for less than $50. But in a PSA 10, that card is routinely selling for $150 even today. It sells for $150 in a PSA 10. So you could pick that up in an SGC 10 for under 50 bucks i think that was a great deal opportunity for whoever got that one uh the the 2018 tops paper otani with him pitching in a psa 10 has been regularly selling for around 100 to 120 dollars give or take but in the pwcc auction there was a csg 10 so again another you know sgc and csg 10s at discounts to the psa sold for 55 dollars which i think is a i think is a great deal um there was a 2014 Panini Prism USA baseball Buster Posey card. So if you're a Buster Posey fan, this was uh when he played for the USA team and in a PSA 10 sold for 14 bucks. I mean, come on. Wow. That's great price. So there's opportunities out there to pick some stuff up for really good prices if you just kind of pay attention um and doing your homework. Another place and we talked about this a little bit last time, but another place where there's some opportunities are in the fractional ownership platforms i'll give you a couple as an example so one that we've talked about before is the ricky henderson uh they have on collectible platform they've got a ricky henderson psa 10 which is a very very rare card i think the pop count on that is only i us see if i've got it here i think it's only about 25 or 30 yeah 25 cards is the pop count on a psa 10 for the 1980 tops ricky henderson rookie well Card Ladder shows that the last sale of that card in a PSA 10 was $120,000 about a month ago, end of April, $120,000. And that's about the value that Card Ladder gives it when they try to estimate the value. Well, on Collectible's platform right now, that card has a market value of $102,000. So, you know, and you might even be able to pick it up cheaper than that, um, depending on you know what the order book looks like. Another example is I'll give you is um, well this is an example of an SGC um, 10 for less than a PSA. So there's a Michael Jordan rookie card, 1986 Fleer rookie, in an SGC 10. Now that card you know is sort of regularly selling in a PSA 10 for what 220, 250 thousand dollars right now 132 thousand dollars is the market value for that card on the collectible platform. And I'll give you one more. This one's the Tiger Woods. It's the 1996 Sports Illustrated for Kids Tiger Wood card, Series 3. It's a popular, I guess, what's considered rookie card of Tigers. in a PSA 10, that card, looking at card ladder here, the last sale was from a couple months ago, the end of February, for $45,000. Actually, more than $45,000, $45,500 they have a estimated value of about 60,000 on that card. Well, on the collectible platform right now, that 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 exact card is selling with a market value of $35,000. And like I said, might quite a bit under where the last sales have been taking place and might be able to pick it up for even less than that. So, again, if that's if you want to participate in fractional platforms or you want to buy physical cards, just pay attention, look at some of these auctions that are going on you know get yourself an account on these fractional platforms look at some of this stuff and there's opportunities to pick some stuff up for you know cheap prices um if that's you know something you're interested in and and, and want to collect those things so anyway I think you know while we're in a this is what we talked about where you need to pick your spots yes we're in a little bit of a down market going the economy and whole as a whole going through a little bit of a tough time so have some capital available and then pick your spots just be kind of on the lookout for things you want like to collect and when you find opportunities jump on them and and grab them because i do think there's some some pretty nice values popping up from time to time in the marketplace all right where do we want to go right.
1: next uh jersey
0: numbers all right show number 33
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's a big number too
1: yeah it's a lot of people here
0: i mean goodness right off larry bird we had magic last last week Now we're on Larry Bird. Scottie Pippen. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Lou Alcindor, as he goes by. Uh, Patrick Ewing. Or what about, as Jeremy Lee said, Patty Roy or Patrick Waugh, goalie, hockey. Eddie Murray in baseball. Simone Augustus, WNBA. Her number 33 is retired by the Minnesota Lynx. Then you have uh, Yolanda Griffith, also in the WNBA. She's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, tony dorsett in football i think he's in the hall of fame sammy baugh is in the football hall of fame as well roger craig running back for the 49ers from back in the day larry walker baseball alonzo morning was with the miami heat for a while there so charlotte and i think
1: he's i feel like he's probably better known for charlotte
0: yeah jose canseco maybe a bit of a controversy controversial name baseball uh chris draper hockey detroit red wings four-time stanley cup champion and then you also have Henrik Sedin, also in hockey, played with the Vancouver Canucks. Several others, more maybe, you know, that are notable names, but I think those are probably some of the bigger ones. So who's your pick on this list? Larry Bird. Yeah. I Same have...
1: reason as Magic.
0: Yeah, because Larry and Magic saved the mm-hmm. NBA.
1: I think those two are the most important players.
0: This one's hard because I kind of I agree with you with Larry, but, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is pretty significant and then i mean he's the all-time nba scoring leader and then you've got scotty pippen too i like scotty but larry and kareem it's got to be between larry and kareem since you went larry i kind of want to go larry but all you went there so i'll go kareem
1: okay that's fair so we got one that's of each close
0: yeah so all right well there you go where do you want to go next let's do historic moment in sports mm-hmm So we got several historic moments in sports from dates of this past week, so let's cover a few and then maybe just pick the one that we like the most. I'll take the first one. May 29th, back in 1990, Ricky Henderson gets stolen base number 893, breaking Ty Cobb's American League record and moving him into third all-time. Obviously, he would later become the all-time stolen base leader. It took Ty Cobb 24 years to reach 892 stolen bases, whereas Ricky did it in 12, half the time. And here's a piece of trivia for you: uh, Ricky is second for the most stolen bases in a single season with 130. Do you know who holds first without looking at the notes? You it's looked at the too, notes. it's Too late. Too late. I don't even know if I can pronounce the name. Hugh Nickel. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced the last name right. I don't know if I did. He swiped 138 bags in 1887 playing for the cincinnati back then called the red stockings you want to take the next one
1: sure so on may 30th 1982 Cal ripkin jr started his streak of playing in 2632 consecutive games and earning him the nickname iron man the longest streak prior to that uh was from lou gehrig mm-hmm. who played in 2130 and yep. Ripken actually started at third base back in 1982, even though he spent the majority of his career at shortstop, which is an interesting little bit of trivia that's considered one of the most demanding positions to play outside of catcher. His rookie cards are in the 1982 sets, and the tops traded and Don Russ are popular. They have just him on the card, while his tops is actually a card with three players, the Baltimore Orioles Future Stars and high-grade 10s. Those are valuable cards, but their value drops as the grades come down.
0: Yeah, they do go down pretty significantly. Pop counts go up as the grades come down. but And then on June 1st, so we did May 29th, we did May 30th, so now we'll do June 1st. June 1st of 1988, the first incarnation of the John Madden football video game is released for the Commodore 64 and the Apple II. Hmm. That's awesome. Uh, June 2nd, 1941, Lou Gehrig died
1: at the age of 37. Uh, the 1933 Gaudi card is well, I guess it's probably your favorite of his. Yeah. Um, it's spendy, low grade of like three sells for over six thousand. Uh, the higher grades will sell for over a hundred k.
0: Yeah. So that was June second. We had another. We had a few June second ones because there's there's a quite a few big historic moment in sports that happened on June second. So June second of nineteen eighty seven, Ken Griffey Jr. AKA the kid was the first pick of the Major League Baseball draft. He was selected by the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and, so, oh yeah, I'll do the next one real quick because this one... So, And I'll have you do the, the one after that. So June 2nd of 2010, Detroit Tigers pitcher Armando Galarraga retired the first 26 batters in a game against Cleveland. So he was going for a perfect game here, right? Nine innings times three batters, so 27 total batters. So on the 27th batter, the there was a ground ball, and they got him out, but the umpire incorrectly called Jason Donald safe, who was the, the hitter, the runner, uh, on that ground ball and Galaraga went on to retire the next batter and finish with a three to zero win after the game the umpire apologized to Galaraga and the media and then the pitcher publicly forgave him saying nobody's perfect and that game has now many monikers including being called the 28 out perfect game.
1: Um, June 2nd, 1935, Babe Ruth announced that he was retiring from baseball after 22 seasons during which he played in, I think, about 10 World Series, hit 714 home runs. He's also one of the first five players inducted into the Hall of Fame, Uh, his 1933 Gowdy. 1948 Leaf cards are, uh, are your favorite. He actually has four different cards in the 1933 Gowdy set. Yeah. And the yellow is the toughest to find, followed by the red.
0: Yeah, those two are my favorite. I do not have either one of those. I wish I did. Those are they're expensive cards, though, to get. On June 2nd in 1990, Randy Johnson, the pitcher in baseball, threw the first no-hitter in Seattle Mariner franchise history. Here's the thing with, with Randy Johnson. You know, pitchers don't get a lot of hobby love, but in his 22-year career, he finished with over 300 wins, nearly 4,900 strikeouts uh, in just over 4,100 innings, through 100 complete games and th- with 37 shutouts. He's obviously in the Hall of Fame. His rookie cards are in the 1989 sets. His upper deck card in a PSA ten from 1989 sells for just about 120 to 140 bucks. So you can pick up this all-time great pitcher for relatively inexpensive. His Fleer card. Now this one's kind of an interesting card because there's a few different variations. But the most valuable variation, and when I say variation, it's, there was kind of some errors. It all has to do with the background of the card. There's a Marlboro ad for Marlboro, the cigarettes, the tobacco company. There's an ad on the scoreboard in the background, and if you have a card that actually shows that, it's not blocked out or blurred out or blacked out or whatever, um, that card is the more valuable of the different variations. And a PSA 10, that'll sell for about 1200
1: to $1,500. Um, June second, 2010, and a surprise announcement just before a game. Uh, The Kid, a.k.a. Ken Griffey Jr., announced his retirement from baseball at the age of 40. He spent 22 seasons in big league baseball. He hit 630 home runs. His rookie cards are in the 1989 sets. The upper deck card number one is probably the most iconic, and even though there are a lot of them in PSA 10, like over 4000 they sell for around $2,000.
0: Yeah, those have continued to hold significant value because it's a very popular and iconic card. Uh, for for one of the more popular players in baseball. So, all right, that's a lot of historic moment in sports for each day over the past week or so from May 29th through June 2nd. So out of those, which one would you pick as your favorite?
1: Uh, Babe Ruth's retirement.
0: That's a pretty significant one. I think maybe I'm going to go with June 1st, 1988, the first John Madden football game comes out. Okay, yeah, you would. (laughs) I would, yeah. I like that John Madden football. I haven't played it in forever, but yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. Do the halftime report. Okay. So to get started here, there's rumors swirling out there about fanatics potentially acquiring Panini. I don't know that there's any truth to any of those. Haven't heard from any of the companies on anything we have talked about this on i don't know it's been probably a couple months now right since we because we talked about this on some shows in the past how there were some rumors around that Mm -hmm. all i would have to say is in a way i kind of hope fanatics doesn't i think if fanatics does acquire them it almost maybe gives me a little less respect for (laughs) fanatics only because from a business perspective i don't know why you you don't need to i guess unless you just want to grab the only thing it does you get their brands obviously But you could probably license those, although I suppose, you know, it depends how strong your relationship is with the folks at Panini in order to get that license. But I'd imagine they'd be open to it because they're going to lose all these anyway. And then I guess the other thing it does is you can get in and start making these cards sooner than later. So instead of waiting another, what is it, two more years, three more years before you capture the licenses with the leagues that Panini has, if you acquire them now, you get it now. But it seems like you'd have to pick them up for a pretty discounted price. I don't know. If panini be willing to sell for that so anyway we'll see i i i I don't know it's just speculation and rumor right now but nonetheless it's something to look out for because a lot of times where there's smoke there's fire when we heard speculation that they were going to acquire tops that did come out not too long after so we'll see you have to stay tuned on that all right let's touch on some card releases
1: all right so panini flawless football first off the line edition is coming out next week it's going to have a starting price in dutch auction format of fifteen thousand. Each box contains one pack and 10 cards per pack.
0: Yeah, so that's like, what, $1,500 per card. Now, that's Dutch auction, so it'll come down in price. But, man, that's a high price to start that uh, the release of that product.
1: And then Panini Prism Football is being released um, this week on Friday. So probably when this drops, it would be the day of. And boxes will contain twelve packs with twelve cards per pack. Each box should contain two autographs, ten numbered prisms, four silver prisms, five inserts, and twenty-four rookies.
0: Yeah, and we're recording Thursday night, so yeah, that comes out Friday tomorrow. They haven't, they didn't put the price out yet of where they're going to drop that at, but I'm guessing somewhere around fourteen hundred bucks, give or take fifteen hundred bucks, somewhere in that ballpark is probably where that's going to be at. So, one hundred and forty-four cards means you're paying. What ten bucks a card, give or take, something like that. Topps Series Two baseball is being released next week. Topps published the checklist this week, and honestly, it doesn't look to be that great of a checklist in terms of including cards of some of the more sought-after rookies. So maybe they're holding those back for the next one, which I think is the update series that'll come out. There is going to be a Wonder Franco, or, or several different Wonder Francos. There's going to be a Reed Detmers, um, Jaron Duran. But no Adley Rutschman, no uh, Seiya Suzuki or Hunter Green, as a a few of the rookies that were, I think some people were hoping they were going to see in this series, they are not going to be in that. So like I said, maybe they'll be in the update series.
1: Um, In grading company news, HGA provided an update and said they are 27 business days out from being caught up on their backlog.
0: Yeah, their 60-day service is open. It sounds like their 30-day, 10-day, and 2-day service levels will be opening up soon.
1: CSG said they will be raising fees effective July 5th, so bulk rates will increase from $12 to $15 per card. Economy service will go from $20 to $25 per card. Standard moves up to $30 to $35 and express increases from $60 to $70.
0: Yeah, and then in other grading company news, Jeremy Lee... Um, who we've talked about a couple times, uh, is doing a five-episode reveal of a new grading company called TAG that has apparently been developing their grading technology for the past 10 years, give or take. So we're going to be listening to those interviews. I think the first one dropped either last night or the day before. I've listened to about half of it so far, but we'll be listening to those. Encourage others to do the same. There's going to be five of those, I think one per week for the next five weeks to do kind of a reveal of all the different aspects of their grading process. And we'll go ahead and report on any news and information that comes out of those.
1: Collectible has hired a former chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission to join their firm as a strategic advisor.
0: Yeah, they said that uh, Jay Clayton, who's the former SEC chairman, is gonna be joining them. And his focus is gonna be what you would expect on regulatory markets, governance matters, that type of thing. So that that's probably a good hire for them. Remember, everything they do on their platform is SEC registered. They wanna open up in some foreign markets due, you know, to attract more international investors, that kind of thing. So probably a good hire for them to have him join their firm. Also, there was a buyout offer on Collectible that I think came out either today or yesterday, and it was for the 2019 uh, Zion Williamson National Treasures Stars and Stripes RPA Rookie Patch Autograph. This one is serial numbered to 30. It was graded a 9 by BGS. Came public on the Collectible platform in April of 2021 at a price of or a value of $129,000. It was trading at about $70,000 before the offer, and the offer is for $75,000. And so now shareholders will have 48 hours to decide where they want to accept that offer or not. That's going to be a, 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 little, a, a bit of a discount from the offering price, so I'd suspect shareholders may decline that, but we'll see. A relatively
1: new marketplace, buysportscards.com, said they now have over 1 million cards listed for sale on their platform.
0: Yeah, they apparently launched in early March of this year and are supposedly the first marketplace to surpass a million cards on their platform since COMC, Com-C Check Out My Cards, those are all the you know names for that one, since they did that back in 2009.
1: For the first time since 2019, there is an in-person Toronto Sports Card and Memorabilia Spring Expo that started Thursday, June 2nd, and that goes through Sunday, June 5th.
0: Yeah, so starts today, goes through Sunday. That's a semi-annual show that has unofficially been referred to as the Canadian National. Remember, there's a na- the National here in the U.S. It's being held in Atlantic City this year in late July. The owner and promoter of that Toronto show has indicated it's shaping up to be the biggest ever and possibly the largest show in Canadian history.
1: The fall show was a success despite limitations at the border and COVID restrictions, and it sounds like advanced ticket sales for the spring show have been strong.
0: Yeah, some of the athletes that are going to be there signing items include Yeramer Yager, which is his first-ever appearance at the show. Bobby Hall is going to be there. Blue Jays outfielder Teoscar Hernandez is going to be there, and a bunch of other notable hockey players.
1: The show has historically had a hockey focus, but we'll see items and tables from all sports in the floor. Um, with Canada qualifying for the World Cup, they're expecting soccer to have a strong showing, too.
0: Yep, and we know Jeremy Lee is going to be there as well with the table buying and selling cards. So if you do happen to go to the show, stop by his table and say hello. All right, so lastly in the halftime report, let's touch on a few card ladder record card sales. We'll start off, there was a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle. That's the sort of legendary, iconic Mickey Mantle card. This one was a PSA 5 that sold for a record $156,000 via PWCC. And Mickey's stuff continues to do well. He had a 1958 Tops uh, that was a PSA 9, sold for a record $6,000 on PWCC. There was a 1957 Tops Willie Mays. Can't go wrong with Willie. Say, hey, kid. Uh, in a PSA 9, sold for a record $53,378 via an auction with Memory Lane. And then there was, here's one we've talked about, Raphael Devers and his 2015 Bowman Chrome Prospects Autograph Card. It was a refractor, so serial numbered to 499. The card was graded nine and a half by BGS. The auto got a ten grade. It sold for a record $1,184 via eBay. And then a couple related to the basketball playoffs. So you had a 2009 Top Stephen Curry gold serial numbered to 2009, or serial numbered to 2009 in a PSA 8, sold for a record $5,500 via eBay. And then a 2018 Panini Kaboom, Jason Tatum, that's a popular insert. A PSA 10 on that one sold for a record $8,250 via our favorite marketplace, and the night And then the last one on here was interesting. A 1990 Topps traded Emmett Smith. This one was in a BGS 10. That's pretty rare. There's a very, very low pop count in the BGS 10. Uh, and that was sold for a record $1,920 via Robert Edwards Auctions. All right,
1: so I think that does it for the halftime report, so we can go ahead and move on to film study.
0: All right, where do we want to start? Start with baseball. Baseball? Yeah. All right, well, touch on – yeah, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on, on each of these players, but just a couple ones. I would say give a look to Mackenzie Gore, pitcher. I think we've talked about him before. He's doing well. He got called up. He's in the majors this year. He's um, a hot prospect. There's a lot of promise for him. He had some, I don't know, he had some issues over the last few years that I don't know if they were injuries and mental health issues, whatever, that were preventing him from being called up. But he's up now, and he's pitching well, and so I think he's one to watch, even though I know pitchers don't get as much Hobby love. His rookie cards are in the 2018 sets. His first Bowman is in the 2017 set. You know, there are a lot of... Even though pitchers don't get a lot of Hobby Love, there are a lot of pitchers doing well. Uh, you got Logan Gilbert and young pitchers. Tristan McKenzie, Corbin Burns. Uh, we talked about Sandy Alcantara before Max Freed. Um, so, and then there's some legendary pitchers we talked about, right? Kershaw and Verlander and Scherzer and and um, Adam Wainwright and all those guys. So, and then you've got Shohei Otani. Now, he just you know continues to rake and i'm gonna let's pull his i want to pull up his index on card ladder so his i'll look at like his tops chrome i think we were just talking was that the one we just talked about that sold in that uh, pwc auction anyway it's um it's down you know that card was maybe what six, five, four, five five months ago was selling for over 250 between 250 and 300 dollars and it's now selling for on average around say $150 to $170. So his cards are down, even though I think he's putting together a really nice season. Um, we have his 2018 Topps Chrome Sapphire rookie card in a PSA 10. We actually pulled that out of the out of the, the, the hobby box um, and got that graded at the national. So I actually really like that card a lot, but it's it's a little spendy. Um, let me see if I can find that one real quick. Oh, I don't know. I think the last sale on that one was something close to four thousand dollars. But I think he's one to continue to watch. Obviously, Aaron Judge, who we've talked about before, he's continuing to do well. Uh, what about Boston's lineup? We we talked about that with our guest that uh, from My Slabs that uh, we're going to be dropping yeah. along with this, and they've got a potent lineup with Devers. Alexander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, who I think is kind of an undervalued guy. I know he's a little on the older side from an age perspective, but it's kind of interesting. He just continues to do well, doesn't get... His rookie cards, by the way, are in the 2011 sets. And then Mookie Betts is also heating up, and he may be getting back into the form that he had a couple years ago. His rookie cards are in the 2014 sets, and they're down a fair amount. Let me see if I can pull some of his stuff up, because... They've come down quite a bit from where they were not that long ago. Let me take a look at, let's see, There's he's got a few different ones in the 2014 sets. There's the Topps Chrome update that's a popular one. I'm going to see if I can find, well, I'll go ahead and use the, the 2014 Topps Chrome update. So in a PSA 10, give you an example, six months ago, that card was selling for around $900. And then came down to as low as maybe the mid $600 level. Um, Last sale was 800, but realistically, probably selling closer to $700 now. So it's it's down. Um, Pop count on that's around 562. You know, and and overall down about 10, 12, 15 percent, something like that. So his stuff's been coming down. Uh, You know, he had a disappointing season last year, but man, he's heating up so we'll see if he's one of those guys If he gets back to the form he had from a couple years ago um, you could see it'd be kind of interesting to see what happens with some of his cards another one I think is interesting to watch we've talked about four is Pete Alonzo Pete Alonso's on fire and he may be quietly putting together a very good start to his career because remember he's he got the rookie of the year in 2019 and hit 53 home runs or whatever he's putting together a good start to season I'd say watch him Mets he's on the Mets Mets are in first place by the way, the Yankees are in first place. Both New York teams are in first place of their respective divisions. Not sure when the last time that happened was, but Pete Alonso's one to watch. I think he could be, you know, and his stuff is relatively inexpensive. Pop counts can be a little high since he's in the 2019 sets, but you can get his stuff for a pretty decent price. Another one to watch out now, Homer Alert on the, I say Homer Alert only because I have a big card of his, and that's Glaybar Torres. He was, he's a short, was a shortstop. I think he's now playing second base, for the Yankees, but when he first came to the Yankees, his rookie cards in the 2018 sets, he's, by the way, he's in that same as same sets as Chohei uh, Shohei Otani. And we pulled, I pulled one of his, it was the, in that, uh, uh, tops Chrome Sapphire pulled his red parallel autograph. It was a rookie autograph card and it's numbered serial number to 10. I think I have the number one out of 10. So yeah. it's a big card back when he first got called up and there was sort of a lot of hype around him that card was probably you know selling for upwards of three to four thousand um, dollars now it's probably i don't know i'm guessing 1500 to 2000 dollars, something like that but he is starting to put together a pretty decent season he's been kind of quietly heating up a little bit so It'll be interesting to see I'm kind of rooting for him. <laughs> obviously I've got yeah. a few of his things not intentionally. I just pulled him I didn't purposely go out and collect him. I just pulled a lot of his stuff in in some of the wax that we ripped but um, kind of rooting for him to to put together a little bit of a comeback season. He's doing well. Uh, the angels and the other thing with with like Mike Trout and Shohei is that the angels are doing well and we'll see if they can you know keep it together all season and and, and get to the playoffs. There could be some interesting opportunities there. And then last time we talked about Jose Ramirez. Possibly, you know, he's one to watch that could have a shot at the 300-300, 300 300 home runs, 300 stolen bases. Now, not this year. It's going to be several years before he gets there. But if he puts together, you know, five, six, seven seasons, like what he's done over the past five or six seasons, he's got a legitimate shot at getting there. But if you look at what he did just past week, so, so far – he, uh, five for 17, an average of just under 300, 294. Hits, he uh, scored six runs, had nine RBIs, three stolen bases, two home runs. So he's now hitting 292 on the season with 13 home runs, 52 RBIs, seven stolen bases, 30 runs, all of that in 46 games. So that puts him on pace for more than 45 home runs, more than 20 stolen bases, and well over 100 runs and RBIs scored. Just another, you know, run-of-the-mill season for Jose Ramirez, but another one of those guys that I think is often overlooked and possibly undervalued. Um, so we'll see. But those—that's really it. That's probably all the things I wanted to sort of touch on as it relates to baseball. So where you want to, you want to go, basketball next? Sure. Yeah, we can go there. I know this is probably a sore subject for you. It's eh. sore subject. I was look. I was rooting for the I don't Heat as it, well. I
1: don't see it as a sore subject, honestly. Like I kind of see it as like. They kind of did what they needed to do. Game six, that was kind of the statement that was made. Now it doesn't really matter since they didn't make it to the finals. But I feel like I was completely happy with the game six win and just a close game seven either way. So, you know, I don't think it's too sore. Well, I'm sad that Jimmy missed the shot, but you know, look, I- that would have been a miracle. But yeah, I mean, since we, I mean, since we were last here, uh, game six happened Miami obviously won that um like we both said there was a game seven and Boston took that so the finals matchup is Golden State and Boston
0: now Jimmy took some heat people were talking about how he they didn't think he should have taken that shot and whatever personally I'm I like the shot I think I mean he was open he's they're on a roll they were making a nice comeback I'm yeah I don't understand
1: it it. the only uh, like because I was watching that comeback and like if no one really, you know, if you didn't see the highlights, you didn't watch the game, whatever, Miami came back from about 13 points down and over the span of the last three minutes of the game. And the whole game, well, they were playing from about, like, you know, seven to ten points down, just trying to come back basically the whole game. It was just kind of a uphill battle the whole time. They, they got a really bad start. They were not playing well. But at the end, you had to know that was going to happen. Boston has had an issue trying to milk the clock when they have a lead. Like in the last five minutes, the whole season, the whole playoffs. So, in the back of my mind, I knew that there was that we are not out of this yet. And then, sure enough, we came back with like some miracle shots. Max Struess hit a really tough three to put us down two. I think we get a stop. Jimmy gets the ball. Shot clock is off, and um, yeah, he does. He did what the best player on the team should do, (laughs) and he goes for the kill. With a wide open three. And so, like, when I watched it, when he pulled up there, in the back of my mind, I was surprised that he took it, not because I thought it was a bad shot, but just because he typically drives. That's normally his game. He's been knocking down these threes the whole playoffs, so, like, it wasn't about that. And just also because typically, when you go for the kill and not the tie, it doesn't really work most of the time. When it does, it's great, but it doesn't always work. So, but other than that, I had no issue with it. I thought he was going to make it. <laughs> like, yeah. I thought the shot was – I thought it was good. Uh, he obviously missed, but I didn't really think anything past that. And then over, like, the next 24 hours, you saw this huge backlash of everybody kind of saying – just, like, questioning the shot selection, Yeah, I, which I personally just don't really get. Like, the, I, Like, you look at the play, like, he has two other options. He can hold it, wait for his team to get back, and go up against a really hard Celtics half-court defense where you're probably not going to get a better shot than the one he took. Almost definitely not going to. Or he can drive it against Al Horford, who's dropping, for a heavily contested shot against a very good and strong defender who literally played one-on-one against Giannis and stopped him a few times.
0: Probably has a couple inches on him too, right? I think Horford's
1: taller than Jimmy Maybe. So Jimmy pulls up from three, wide open, uncontested shot. I don't understand what the issue with that is. And people were like, oh, like, oh, Horford's old. Go after Horford. If you're saying that, you have not been paying attention to the Celtics. That dude, he, yeah, he's 35. Who cares? That dude freaking guards. Like, I feel like, like I said, he was playing Giannis one-on-one, and they were letting him do that. He was handling it just fine. Like, that dude guards. He's big, he's strong, and he guards, and he was dropping, preparing, like, like, jimmy was gonna have to meet horford at the rim horford was not gonna have to like catch up with jimmy like on a blow by that's not the situation yeah like and also the also shot. there were like three other celtics who were actually back already and could have helped too so like people don't actually really notice that either Struess was in the corner There was someone else on the wing there was help available if he drove so yeah. he took the best shot they were going to get over the course of that next 17 seconds and it's just make or miss at that point yeah it's a make or miss league he missed the shot if he makes it no one's gonna question it no one's gonna say oh like he made it but it wasn't a very good shot like no they're just gonna say like that's Jimmy buckets and that's that's what he does right I, so
0: i like the shot personally i i like the fact that he had that mentality gonna go for the kill exactly. right there and i think and here's the thing if he makes that shot i mean he's a hero exactly this <laughs> is so that classic that shot, scenario right? of like if you if it works you're the hero if it doesn't you're the But, like, it's not
1: really because it wasn't a bad shot. Because, like, there's a lot of times where guys take bad shots that go in and they're heroes, but you can still look at it after the fact and be like, well, you probably really shouldn't have shot that, honestly. But you can't say that about this. Well, that's exactly right. Look, look about it. Wide open, uncontested three. Or.
0: From your best player. From
1: your best player. Or heavily contested shot at the rim. Even if that's your strength. Heavily contested shot at the rim against a really good and strong defender. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the open three every time, especially in a player as clutch as Jimmy Butler. You know,
0: yep. So well, and that having
1: a good game too. he's Got like what 35, something like that. Yeah, he had a fantastic game,
0: and nice to see too his card. He's starting to get some love in the hobby. I'm looking at his card index from Card Ladder, and it's up 20 percent in the last six months. Although really a lot of that came. So let me let me shorten the time frame because yeah, it's up 27 percent. In the last three months so starting to t- people are i think starting to take notice and and i think Jimmy is the kind of guy you like to root for of uh, course it, and i it, just
1: think it's i mean i think it's it's interesting because i mean we talk about this all the time how maybe like his game isn't that attractive or like whatever but i mean i think it's interesting um and jj reddick kind of kind of pointed this out too he, like no one really pays attention to jimmy during the regular season because he just he kind of does whatever he feels like his team needs, whether that's playmaking, scoring, playing defense, whatever, he doesn't really care what it is. He just does what he feels like he needs to do. But in the playoffs, he feels like he needs to score a lot more often. And everybody just kind of forgets. And then once like playoff Jimmy rolls around, everybody just kind of remembers, okay, yeah, like Jimmy Butler's freaking awesome. <laughs> like he can, he's a really good player. Yeah,
0: so. and if you look at the trend on his 2012 prism, which is his rookie card in a PSA 10. The trend is clearly moving higher. We talked about last time how there was a kind of an anomaly sale for like $157 or whatever a couple of weeks back, but uh, but the last then there's been three sales since then and they were for, you know, 220, 245 and $267. And so there's clearly a trend higher. I'd say it's probably averaging now in the, you know, where it was $200 maybe 3 months ago, probably averaging in the 220 to 230. Range for that card. That's just one of, of many we we talked about last time. Some of the records that some of his more higher end cards, like the National Treasures, are are setting, but still cheaper than than what a lot of other players are out there. But nice to see he's getting some attention, some love. Now the Heat really lost. I mean that shot also kind of fitting in some ways because the Heat really lost that game seven on the three point differential. There was If you I look think, at the, the stats,
1: yes, they technically did, but I don't think that's where they lost the game. Personally, I think they lost the game by just coming out playing terribly in the first half. Well, yeah, I don't well, think that, that, and that was kind of a theme point. for it, the series. They, it, they it didn't have anything to do with the shooting; it just had to do with the focus, the effort. Like there was a play where they were literally like like five guys arguing a foul call or like an out of bounds call or something. They take the ball in. No one's on their man. Jason Tatum gets a wide open three on the inbound pass and knocks it down. It's like stuff like that. It's like you can't just – like stuff like that beat them. Yeah. And I don't want to say they beat themselves because that was like a little bit like – I mean that was just like – that was like the worst of it. But it was just kind of a general like they just didn't really come out playing that well.
0: I would agree with that. Now, but to your point, if you look at the stats though, even game – across the board on everything with the exception of three-point shots. Mm -hmm. Boston had a 15-point differential on threes, and they won by four. So, you know, and, and where I'm going with that is to say that, to me, a big difference in that game was the absence of Tyler Hero. In The absence
1: of normal Tyler Teller. Yeah, he he played like very small minutes. He's he's not 100, and but he didn't hit. They they stopped playing him, right? And he didn't hit. He
0: took like two shots, and
1: they were real short. I mean, you're talking about a guy that
0: would normally score 25 points a game. I think his regular season average, and even his playoff average, out you know outside of his injury. Was probably in the you know mid twenty point a game range. That had what no point, two points, whatever it was. I don't think any. I don't know that he scored at all. I don't think
1: he he took like two shots and they were both really short. I mean, he had a wide open like free throw jumper that hit like real front rim. (laughs) Well, you got to figure. He's also
0: their probably. I would. I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm suspecting he's their best three point shooter. And you got to figure he's going to make it. knock down a couple threes throughout the game. So. I I think it highlights the significance of not having him in the lineup. It would – you know, I just – and I I hate to see that because you always want to see both teams at full health when you've got a game like that. Yeah. Especially from their, you know, top players, one of their top players.
1: And I will say both teams – both teams were dealing with that too. Uh, That's not to say Boston didn't have their share of injuries. Like they had two guys out there playing through injuries, but the difference is they were playing pretty effectively. Tyler couldn't really play at all. I mean, he had a groin injury. He's a little bit different. Yep. Um, That's pretty hard to play on. So, you know. And and something a lot of people didn't notice is actually P.J. Tucker stopped playing about halfway through the game. I'm not really sure why. I know he's been having some issues with the injury throughout the playoffs that he's been playing through. I know it had something to do with that, but they also lost P.J. T- Tucker, who's been their best defender against Jason Tatum the whole se- series um, for like an entire half or something. So
0: Yeah. Well, on the flip side, Jason Tatum also liked Jimmy Butler, although more pronounced As probably it should be given the results but as far as the growth rate that we're seeing in his card so his the in his card ladder index player index is up 34 percent in the last three months alone and let's go look at his uh, some of his cards i want to see if i can find because he's he's in the 2017 uh, sets And so I'm going to go ahead and pull up. I want to find, give me a second here.
1: And just to be clear, I actually, I'm also like like injuries were definitely a factor, but injuries are always a factor in every playoff series. And like I said, it went both ways. So I don't want to like come off like, oh man, we lost because of injuries. Because I don't think so. I think Boston beat Miami. I don't think Miami lost because they were hurt. Not this time. So I just want to make that clear.
0: No, that's fair. But I'm like, going to look. Boston
1: played, played really well. So, yeah. and again, it was make or miss. I mean, that close. So,
0: a lot of Jason Tatum stuff that's on the high end, obviously, going for pretty steep prices. We just talked about that Panini Kaboom, and there's some of his national treasures and other autograph cards and whatnot. So, I'll pull one of the lesser expensive cards to give to, to show kind of what's been happening. And so, this is the 2017 Don Russ Optic, the rated rookie. And this is in a PSA 10. And this card was three and four months ago selling for 120 bucks pretty regularly because the pop count's pretty high. This is upwards of 4,700 give or take on the pop count, but now that 120 dollars is regularly selling for 170 to 180 dollars. So that's a what nearly 50 percent increase, not quite maybe 40 percent increase. Yeah, 41 percent rate of growth on that over the last three months. So getting obviously and you know look i mean if he continues on that trajectory i mean this could be frankly if you're not a long-term collector of jason tatum stuff this might be a decent time to consider selling a few things i'm not saying go sell everything but keep what you want to keep but if you are looking at it from a purely financial investment perspective you know this is it might be a decent time now longer term there still could be some upside in his stuff because he might be establishing himself as here this year and this and in these playoffs as one of the
1: Oh yeah he's been getting better every year. Yeah. He's and the way like the way he plays he's not going to slow well, down. Well and if for
0: any reason they get past the Warriors and win the title I think you're going to probably see a I would think you'll see a spike in his stuff.
1: Yeah, like Jason Tatum's legit man. I think a lot of people don't like you may have thought that there was kind of a stoppage and a growth just because the Celtics weren't playing. Well, people forget, first of all, Jason Tatum is super young. Yeah. And second of all, they couldn't figure out, like, their team through the beginning of the season. Now that they've figured out how to play with each other and how to play the right way, I mean, now he can really, really shine. And he's a two-way player, too. He plays good defense. So, I mean, that's not a lot of thing. That's not something that a lot of the other great players in his draft class can say. So,
0: Yep. Well, so let's talk about the other team in the finals and that's the Golden State Warriors. And here's the interesting thing, obviously Steph Curry, uh, part of the, the the big three that they have, but Steph's stuff, if you look at his index on the Card Ladder, it's actually down fifteen percent uh, over the last three months. And if I look at like his two thousand nine Topps Chrome rookie card, so even the base card is serial numbered on that to nine ninety nine, so there are, you know, less than a thousand of those and in a PSA 10 the pop count is only 61 and we're not getting enough sales on that so I'm not going to use that one let's drop down to a nine still not enough sales on that last sale on that was back in April for $12,000 just to give people an idea his stuff is is fairly expensive so if we drop to an eight even an eight in that card last sale was for $7,900 uh, just a couple of days ago, but there's only been, the pop count on that is less than 30. There's only been about maybe a half a dozen sales over the last three months, but still, you know, his stuff is is pretty expensive, but it's not necessarily moving higher as a result. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, I, we talked about last time, I've told you that there are a lot of people in the hobby that are kind of throwing shade at Steph and, you know, maybe not giving him, the the credit he deserves as as one of the greatest players of all time i think sometimes that's a well just just guys in the hobby um but people in the hobby but you know he's one of eight players they watch basketball well he's yeah he's one of eight players to win multiple mvps and appear in six finals i think that one of the things that i think people miss is a lot of times some of the people that are throwing shade on him i think are just looking at stats and saying well, you know, you got all these other players that might have better stats, advanced statistics and different things like that. But one thing that I've always thought that can't be measured in stats is what a player's presence on the court means to how the de- how the other team has to play defense and guard him as well as the other players around him. What how that player makes other players on the team better, and how it just kind of changes the game and the strategy of the game because of, like I said, how a team has to defend. I think Steph's one of those guys.
1: Oh, you think Steph is? One, are you, Steph is the one of those guys.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> is the only. He
1: is. He is that guy. And like, I, well, so I mean, shoot, man, I think uh, what a, Steph is the greatest offensive weapon in the NBA, maybe ever. Definitely right now. Yeah, just because of the attention that he attracts. And a lot of people don't realize, like casual fans may not really necessarily understand that Steph or a player like Steph, like any high profile, like even Clay, um, Duncan Robinson in Miami, those guys can create offense without shooting the ball at all or making shots. And a lot of people don't understand that. Just because of the attention and especially Steph Curry, just the attention that he draws, he never stops moving. He gives up the ball. That's where the real work starts. Typically if you're a defender when your guy gives up the ball, that's where you can take a breath. No, not with Steph Curry. He keeps moving. And like you said, it makes other like Draymond Green gets like Two or three buckets a game, just off of a fake dribble handoff, where they overreact to either Steph or Clay, and he just takes it all the way to the cup. Yeah, wide open. Like yep. two or three. He's good for like two or three of those a game.
0: Like well, and not only that, but he extends the defense, right? Because you mm-hmm. you have to guard Steph fifty feet away from the basket because mm-hmm. he can knock down that shot all day long, and so it just yeah, it it completely changes. The way a defense has to play and opens things up and so even if he's not shooting well mm -hmm. or not having a good game and that's an example people like to point to that say well must be nice you know and uh, um, if he shot five of 17 in that final game against dallas um added three rebounds nine assists and three steals but didn't shoot well i think he only scored like 15 points okay but like
1: but like five of 17 shooting Steph's 5 of 17 shooting is so different from like everybody else's 5 of 17 shooting because if you look, if you actually watch the game and see just the difficulty of the shots that Steph Curry has to take to get a shot off. Yeah. Like give me a break, man. That's those are different shots. Those are not wide open like threes yep. like like even barely like slightly contest like those are hard hard shots that he has to take because defenders are completely like just stu- stuck to him People well and realize that and like, here's the point you can't just look at the stat sheet and say oh he missed a bunch of shots like yeah, he's missing a bunch of really hard shots he made five of them
0: yep i <laughs> mean well,
1: normally he normally makes more so
0: no I, I agree and and i think the point for me is that the fact that steph can have can shoot five of 17 score only 15 i say only 15 points and the Golden State Warriors can still win. Some people want to say, well, that's because of the the team around him, and he just has so much better team. And so it's not Steph, it's the fact he's got Draymond, he's got Clay, he's got Wiggins, he's got all these other guys. I look at it differently and I say, that's how valuable Steph is, because he he doesn't you know, you think about Dallas. If Luca doesn't score forty, Dallas doesn't win you know and
1: he scored 40 and they still didn't win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with with 20 po- two other 20 point performances from Dinwiddie and Brunson.
0: Exactly. And so the point there is that you know, Luka and those other players need to make the players around them better. That and and look, I'm not saying they don't. I don't want to start a huge debate over that. All I'm saying is that I don't think Steph gets the credit for how he changes the game when he's on the court changes the strategy changes the defense and how he opens things up for the rest of the team i promise you those other players like clay thompson draymond green wiggins pool all those guys they aren't doing as well if when if steph's not on the court if they're on a different team i bet you i bet you maybe, dollars maybe, to donuts maybe, maybe they're clay not doing the as well
1: exception to that
0: maybe but, but clay but absolutely points, but benefits from steph Yeah, for sure because Steph just garners so much attention that that opens things up. To your point, Steph's always moving. You watch him; it's exhausting watching him. <laughs> he's oh, running he's, all he's, over the place. He's a
1: master class in like off-ball movement. If anybody like, and and this is a great thing. Like the reason Jordan Poole's gotten so good is because he's really taken after Curry. He's learned a lot of that stuff. He's started to add a lot of that off-ball constant motion to his game. So now you've got all three of those guys who do the same thing that has got to be just the most annoying thing to have to defend yeah. every night you know
0: but that's my point about how you said pool's picking this up from curry mm-hmm. that's my point about how curry is making those other guys so much better and then changing the nature of the game by just being on the court and let me give you i'll give you an example too on the stats because i you know people will talk about well you can't compare him to jordan you can't compare him to kobe can't compare him to lebron Look, totally different in terms players. Of scoring,
1: oh yeah, you well can. in yes, scoring you can. you can, but but <laughs> in look, scoring, I, yeah you can.
0: But I also think a totally different player, right? Like Steph's not the guy that's going to go get the highlight real dunks, right? And I do think sometimes guards in general. I mean, we saw it with Chris Paul. You see it with Devin Booker. I think the smaller the guard type players tend to not maybe get as much. Um, you know, much attention and much love because they're not making those highlight reel plays like LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, and those guys. I
1: don't understand. But like, the Steph's got highlights though. He's got cool, ridiculous three highlights. He's got really fantastic finishes. Highlights where he just like turns around, flips it up, and just goes in. I know and stuff like that. Like, like everybody like watches. So I don't get that. Well, let Why me, is there a disconnect between the basketball world and like the card world? That doesn't make any sense. Well,
0: let me give you some stats. So people talk about Jordan and so i'll give you some stats so in game six okay against the uh the new york knicks following a triple double that he had in game five this was in 19 when was this was that 90 oh i forget the year i don't have the year now it was in the early mid 90s um they went to the finals they beat the new york knicks in the conference finals went to the finals and and, and won the the title that year But after putting together a great game in Game 5 with a triple-double, came out in Game 6 with a very poor shooting performance, made only 8 of 24 shot attempts, was 1 of 4 from 3 points, added just 2 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals. And so it's not like when you look at, you know, and then here's another example. So then the following year in the Eastern Conference Finals against Orlando, he went 5 for 14 with 17 points in, I think, game three of that series. But Chicago still swept Orlando. So you could say the same thing, oh, well, it must be nice to go 5 of 14 with 17 points and still have your team win, you know, because he had Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and Dennis Rodman and whoever all else. I forget Bill Cartwright. I forget all the play. You know, Steve Kerr, who were all on the team that particular year. But um, – or in the last game against the, the uh, Seattle uh, in uh, the 96 finals, the Bulls won their fourth title. It was the first of their second three-peat. Jordan shot 5 of 19. Uh, in that game, uh, and but they still wanna won the title. So, look, it's not like player some of those best players like that, even including Jordan, who obviously is one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time, has those kind of games, and their team still wins. That doesn't take anything away from Jordan, and I think the same is true with Steph. You know, He might have only shot 5 of 17, but he still was absolutely an integral part of why that team won that series. And
1: that's just basketball, man. And I also make the point here about, about Steph is that yeah, he does garner all that attention, but a lot of guys do. And this is the way that the reason that he's so effective is he's so willing and he wants to give up the ball when that happens. All the guys in Golden State are going to do that when that happens. Steph wants to, and he understands that that is part of what makes him so good and makes his team so good. And so he's a pretty good passer too. So that's another important thing. And also I just there's some interesting stats um, to Golden State just in terms of how they play because they do play in this very, you know, high motion move the ball type offense. It's very quick. They have, so they have the most amount of touches per possession each game. The touch length is the lowest in the NBA. It's something like just a little bit over two seconds per touch. So no one's just like dribble, dribble, dribble um, everywhere. They also like, at least at one point in the regular season, I remember they had the most amount of passes per game so it's just like this kind of this system real basketball is is created by Steph obviously and and Clay and Draymond but the fact that they have Steph makes them able to do that but it's also just they have this really great system that they can play within yeah and everybody buys in and Steph just really amplifies that
0: yeah you know so totally agree well so let's talk about what's your prediction for the finals who do you think is going to win how many games (sighs) what are the keys for each team
1: Well, keys for each team, it's interesting. I think think they split the first two games, and then after that, I have no freaking clue. I think, well, I'll I'll take Golden State to win it just because of of the maturity, but I would not at all be surprised if Boston won. And I think it goes six or seven. I think, I mean, keys for each team, I think Golden State, well, for one, I, I think Boston actually matches up pretty well with Golden State. they're very big they have a lot of they've well first of all it's the number one and two defenses in the nba boston has a lot of big wing guys so they kind of win the size battle and they can they can switch all those guys too for the most part so i think it's a bit of an interesting matchup i think that they also have the marcus smart curry matchup is going to be really interesting i think Over the course of both of their careers, when Marcus Smart has been the primary defender on Curry, he shot something like either just barely over 30% or just under, something around there. So, like, really, really low numbers. Now, a little bit different in the finals, but, like, still he's just... Both players have just gotten better at at what they do best. So, the Celtics, obviously, really stifling half-court defense. They're going to force a lot of turnovers. The Warriors are very prone to turnovers. So, the key... I think for Golden State at least initially because I also need to you also need to look at these two teams only play each other twice a year when they've played each other this year key players have been out like Steph has been out Boston's team was completely different this was before they like took their turn they also had a, a little bit of a different roster because they made some moves at the trade deadline so they don't really these two teams don't really have a feel for each other so like game 1 and probably game 2 is just going to be kind of like feeling each other out so like I don't really know how the matchup's going to swing. We just kind of have to wait and see what adjustments are made and just kind of see, you know, how they do. But I think initially Golden State needs – they cannot commit unforced turnovers. They just cannot against Boston. They're really prone to it just because of the – it's just by the nature of the way they play. But sometimes they'll get a little sloppy. You know, Steph will throw a left-handed pass over his shoulder across court it's just like probably shouldn't do that. Draymond will throw it way ahead because you know Draymond likes to throw those passes like before the guys even start moving just because he predicts where they're going to go. He needs to like be a little careful on that and really cut down on those unforced turnovers because if they don't you could I, I honestly predict there will probably be a game in this series where Golden State has over 20 turnovers against Boston I would imagine that's probably the case. Um, I think the mark, like I said, Marcus Smart Curry matchup is going to be interesting.
0: So do they go? I'm trying to remember. Is it two three two two at Golden State three or who's the who's considered the got the advantage? Golden here. State, Golden State, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So does it go two at Golden State three at Boston two two at Golden State? Is that the
1: mm, no? It goes two two at Golden State back to two at Boston and, and then, then, then one it, one one yeah one one one. It so game one, five one, one. is Golden State, game six Boston, game seven will be back at Golden State. Gotcha.
0: The reason I ask is because my prediction, so I think So I, it's a tough one because I think Boston has absolutely a legitimate shot to win. But I think Golden State's going to win. And all along in the playoffs, it's appeared to me that Golden State really wants to close the series out at home. Didn't they close every playoff series out at home? Yeah, because they always have a
1: really bad road loss right before they...
0: Exactly my point. <laughs> and, and my point is like they jump yeah. out to this lead and then it's almost like they're like, yeah, whatever. We, we don't want to win it on, our, on a visitor's court. So they just kind of, you know, lay an egg and then come back and play a good game to close it out on their home court. So that's my point. So that's why I was thinking, okay, I would say six games, except for the fact that the sixth game is in Boston. So I think it's either going to be five or seven, because I think if Golden State wins it, they're going to win it on their home court. So I think Golden State wins it in either five or seven games.
1: Yeah, that's,
0: that's interesting.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. And I just I, – I, I'm interested to see besides the Curry-Smart matchup, and you know Smart will want a piece of clay too, what the other matchup – like who's Draymond going to guard, who's Wiggins going to guard – um, I think another key for Boston, in particular, obviously, that's just full of really good defenders. I think Tatum and Brown, especially, are going to have to really buy in. Are going to have to really like give a full effort on defense from the get go, in order for them to have a chance because their defense is going to be really important. And I think those two guys, like they're good defenders, but they also have very high usage rates on offense. So you don't want to see, you don't want to see them. You could potentially see them kind of taking a little bit of a break on defense every now and then. And what I think is important is to have all five guys on the floor, starting with those guys, to be great defenders on every play. That's what's going to win them this finals. And they would be prepared for that too, because Golden State typically likes to target the best player to wear them out on defense. So they get the, I mean that's they're going to have to they're going to have to do that anyway. So, so you're going. What's your prediction? I think Golden State wins in six or seven. Yeah, but man is that close I don't know because again I think Boston matches up well but there's a really big difference in experience and that matters so we'll see if Boston can overcome that or not
0: and you know the other thing is you know Boston's going to come out and play physical
1: oh yeah but so I mean hey Golden State's going to be for it they're used to that so I promise you Curry, Clay, they're used to that Draymond is all for it they're going to be ready for that but the only difference is they're way bigger <laughs> boston is way bigger so yeah. it'll be interesting so, yeah again
0: Well, let's move on you got anything else in basketball no we can spend a lot let's, of time there let's talk about hockey playoffs because holy cow we got exactly what we were hoping to get in the conference finals you got the colorado avalanche going up against the edmonton oilers and we'll come back to that in just a second that's in the uh in the west right in the east you have tampa bay going up against the New York Rangers. Rangers are absolutely hot right now. Tampa Bay members going for a three-peat if they were to win the Stanley Cup. But, man, the Rangers are looking pretty good. But let's talk about that Avs-Oilers matchup because we were hoping to get it, thought it would be epic if we did. And, man, if game one was any indication. Look, if you have not watched hockey or don't consider yourself a huge hockey fan – you need to watch this series between the Avalanche and the Oilers and it may change your mind because man, what a game. It did not disappoint. There were 11 goals scored in the first two periods. that both teams combined for a total of 14 goals. The Avalanche ended up pulling out game one by a score of eight to six. I think in the first period it there were like, I can't remember maybe maybe eight goals or, or seven or six or seven goals, something like that. It was just incredible. I mean, these these two teams are just the speed of Colorado especially and like guys like Nathan McKinnon on the ice. I mean, man, it's just it was fun to watch. And you've got some real superstars because you got on um, Edmonton, you've got Connor McDavid, who may very well be, you know, the best player in all of NHL right now. And then his partner, you know, Leon Drysaddle, Both of those guys were hundred point, you know, scores. Um, in this past year. And then on Colorado, of course, we talked about Colorado before. They're built to win the Stanley Cup this year. They've got, obviously, Nathan McKinnon. But then they've got a bunch of other guys. they got Kadri. They went out, member at the trade deadline and got Lekanen. They've got um, Kale McCarr, who's a defenseman, but who is scoring like crazy. And I think he had a, a goal or two in that first game. I mean, it's just been it, – it is an absolutely – it's going to be an epic series. And so it's going to be one to watch. Yeah and looking at the card values some of those guys so remember Connor mcdavid rookie cards in the 2015 sets his young guns in a psa 10 sells right now for around three thousand dollars it's up over the last, say, month or two by, you know, a fair amount. It was selling for, say, 2500 now upwards around 3000 But if you pan out to six months or a year, and I think we talked about this before, that card was upwards of $4,000. So it, it's um, a little cheaper than it was, you know, six months to a year ago. And then Nathan McKinnon, same kind of deal. His, you know, his card's really flat. It's been trading for the last three months around $1,200, give or take. And that was the last sale was at $1,100 just a couple of days ago. Uh, Pop counts about 900 on his young guns in a PSA 10. He's in the 2013 sets. Now on the flip side, a guy like Kale McCarr, his um, his card ladder player index is up 77 percent over the last six months. Uh, his young guns is in the 2019 set, and that one in a PSA 10. You know, just a few months ago was selling for around $400, and now it's consistently selling for around. um, but still you know a fair amount below where McKinnon and uh, and Connor McDavid are selling for so maybe still be some opportunity there so anyway so that's going to be a fun one to watch and then in the other series also got a good one going because like we talked about Tampa Bay looking for a three-peat and a couple of the players there that are more notable to watch are Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov but then the Rangers come in they're hot right now and they're the ones, remember, they've got the goalie we talked about, Shesterkin. And, man, he's playing well in the playoffs. He had a, a really good – the Rangers took the first game from Tampa Bay. I think that was last night, and Shesterkin had a great game. Now, goalies, you know, like pitchers and like wide receivers and run in baseball and wide receivers and running backs in football, goalies in hockey tend to not get as much value and hobby love. But nonetheless, I think Shesterkin is an interesting one to watch. Of course, the Rangers have – a young buck like Alexi Lafreniere, Lafreniere. Now he didn't have the maybe the rookie season that people were hoping for, but he did get a couple assists in that in that first game. Um, uh, Mike Zabanajad has been having a good playoffs and and a good um, he had a good game one. That you know that that's going to be a fun series to watch as well. So a lot of good stuff in two going to be great series to pay attention to in uh, in hockey. Um, And so those are going to be some things to look for. So then let's move on. You want to go to, we'll do maybe WNBA and then we'll touch on some tennis because we got some tennis news too. But so in the WNBA, the Las Vegas Aces are first in the West with an overall record of nine and one. They are loaded. They've got uh, Jackie Young, Kelsey Plum. Um, I I don't know how you say her first name. Aja Wilson. Aja, Aja. Aja is that it? Wilson. Yeah. Um, she leads the league in rebounds on a per game basis, and then you have um, Daria Hamby, who's third in rebound average per game. We also have Becky Hammond
1: as, as their coach now.
0: Yeah, that's Since right. That's the fresh coach. Yep, yep, that's right. The Washington Mystics are first in the East with a record of seven and three um Brianna Stewart's leading the league in scoring and steals uh, she's with Seattle um they've got that's, her that's funny why is that because she's leading the league in steals too I know and she's huge yeah yeah that's true and they've got uh Seattle's got Sue Bird on that team as well um in Chicago the sky you've got Candace Parker and and Vandersloot. who else we got let's see Kelsey Mitchell and Jackie Young are two and three in scoring but Jackie Young by the way on the Las Vegas Aces that we just talked about um Uh, Courtney Van Der leading the league in assists on a per-game average with Chicago Sky. Um, Skylar Diggins-Smith is doing well, as is Sabrina Ionescu, one of our favorites, Oregon Ducks. And look, I think Sabrina's one to watch. Do I have... I was going to look. I thought I had her. Yeah, I had her. Let me pull up her um, player index on Card Ladder because it's, it's basically flat over the last several months and now she's not you know tearing it up yet but she's doing really she's doing pretty well uh but you can get so her rookie card and i think this is a pretty significant card in my opinion because remember 2020 was the first year that uh panini prism for the wnba came out so that's kind of the inaugural um panini prism w like 2012 was for men's basketball 2020 was for women's basketball and that's the set that sabrine also contains sabrina's rookie card And so in a PSA 10, um, the silver, you know, there's not enough. uh, The the last sale on that was $750, but there's only a pop count of of 27. So let's look at a base because there's a lot. The pop count on that's 826, a lot more sales on that. But so that one was selling, you know, maybe six months ago or so for 120 bucks. And now you can pick that card up for the last sale was $50. Um, and, you know, probably going to – that's that little bit of an anomaly. It's probably more in that 60 to $80 range. But nonetheless, um, you can pick her stuff up for a pretty decent price. And I think she's going to be one to potentially watch um, to, for a long career, as is Brianna Stewart, by the way. Now, Brianna Stewart's rookie card is in the 2016 sets. Now, you know, several of those – and there are other players like Candace Parker and others that have their rookie cards in what's called the Rittenhouse House. Um, so those were all. Those are, Rittenhouse was the was the um, the sets that that contain a lot of the WNBA players and the rookie cards. So like I said, Brown and Stewart's in twenty sixteen. I would if you can't find. Sometimes those can be a little harder to find. And if you can't, then I would probably default to the that twenty twenty um, Panini Prism WNBA set because I think that one's going to have um, going to hold some decent value um, over the long term since it was the inaugural one. But yeah there you go a little bit on the WNBA. all right let's go tennis yeah, let's finish up with tennis so yeah this was you know this is frankly if you're a tennis fan this is a golden era for tennis in my opinion so the french open is going on rafa rafael nadal he beat uh, novak djokovic to advance to the semifinals. he's now just two wins away from his 14th french open title And I mean, you think about it, you've got Djokovic, you've got Federer, you've got Nadal, you've got Serena Williams on the women's side. If you look at the players that have the most all-time Grand Slam wins on men's and women's side, virtually all of them playing right now and earn this there. Now, some of them like Federer and Serena Williams getting probably closer to the end of their careers, but nonetheless, like so Rafael Nadal. Leads it in the men's with 21 Grand Slam wins. Uh, Djokovic has 20. Roger Federer has 20. Then you've got guys like Pete Sampras with 14, and it goes down from there. Now, Federer has the most Wimbledon wins. He has eight. Nadal is sort of notorious for doing well on clay courts, which is what the French Open is, and so he's got 13 wins there, like we said, just now going for his 14th. Um, Djokovic has done really well at the Australian Open, but also at Wimbledon. He's got nine Australian Open wins, six Wimbledon wins but those are when we talk about the Grand Slam it's those four it's the it's Australian Open the Wimbledon it's the French Open and it's the U.S. Open so those are the four that make up the Grand Slam. On the women's side now Margaret Court is at the top with 24 and she was from I think back in the 60s and 70s um, was was her days of playing Uh, but Serena Williams is right there now with 23. And then behind her is Steffi Graf with 22. And then you've got a couple of players from my in my day. I remember watching Martina Navratilova and Chris Evert back in the 80s. Um, and they both have 18 Grand Slam wins. But so you got on the women's side, you got Serena at number two, looking like possibility to be the number one. And on the men's side, the top three, all of them playing right now in tennis. And so, anyway, it's kind of a golden era for tennis the um and looking at card values they've become somewhat popular over the last couple of years um the dolls rookie cards are in the 2003 now net pro is the name of the company that produced a lot of the tennis player cards and so there's a 2003 net pro sets you've got kind of the base net pro you've got an international series there's a net pro elite and within those there's some serial numbered parallels there's like a glossy version of of some of those some of those can be a bit pricey like the serial numbers and the glossy versions and so forth. So as an example, the 2003 Net Pro Glossy in a PSA 10 for Nadal sells for around three dollars to $400. The Base, the non-glossy in a PSA 10 sells for about $100, give or take. Um, the 2003 Net Pro Elite 2000 in a PSA 10 for Nadal sells for about $700. Um, so if you like tennis, like I said, Net Pro cards are kind of the way to go. In that 2003 sets, you can get the Williams sisters, Uh, Players like Andy Roddick, Anna Kornikova, Roger Federer, Martina Hingis, uh, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, Monica Sellis, um, just about all of the kind of stars from that generation with maybe the exception of Djokovic. He doesn't have an official rookie card, but probably his most sought after cards um, if not his only cards, are in what's called the Ace Authentic sets. And you can find those from 2006. I think that's the first card he has out. Uh, but then his 2007 and the 2010 Ace Authentic cards for for Djokovic are are also popular. And, you know, all of those, like Federer, Serena Williams, um, Djokovic, Nadal, they've all seen, you know, pretty significant increases in the values of their cards over the last couple of years, as there's been a lot of interest paid to them. But um, yeah, like I said, I mean, you've got what four, five different players. I'm going to go down as probably the all time greatest, you know, of, of tennis players um, that are that you can watch now today. So yeah. anyway, so I thought that was interesting, and wanted to touch on that. And I think that's it. I Think so? That's the show for today. All right. Well, Brandon, go ahead and take us out then
1: um yeah uh, we uh, hope you guys all enjoyed today uh, please reach out to us and give us your feedback we do want to hear from you we use that to make the show better and bring you more of what you want so let us know what you uh let us know your thoughts excuse me also remember to check us out on social media Uh, follow our pages we're on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and check out our website www.the615collector.com and subscribe to our email list
0: yep and as we always say tell your family and friends about us as well encourage them to listen to the show follow us on your favorite podcast outlet we have seen I think we talked about um, the last couple shows we've seen a really pretty significant uptick in followers and our listener audience over the past few weeks And so we very much appreciate that and are thankful to that and are excited to see that, and we hope that continues. All right, so that is it. Show number 33 is in the books for today. Thanks again to all of our listeners. We'll see you all next Friday, same time, same place here on the 615 Collector.